And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Loy, and I'll be your host today. We are all dealing with massive uncertainty. And as our trust in the government, media, and other players on the national and local stage falters, the role of the CEO has emerged as the most trusted of all leadership positions. What is it that distinguishes this role and what is it that we can learn from those who really distinguish the best from the rest? Our guest mentor, Vic Mahotra, knows a lot about the why of this phenomenon. He is McKinsey and Company's former managing partner for the Americas and continues today as a senior partner. He has spent countless hours throughout his career counseling CEOs and boards. He's also the co-author of CEO Excellence, the six mindsets that distinguish the best leaders from the rest. Vic, welcome to The Mentors. And before we get started on the topic, explain to my audience who McKinsey and Company is and what they do. Well, thank you, Tom. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here and thank you for your warm and generous welcome. Uh, McKinsey & Company is a global management consulting firm. Uh, We are in uh, roughly 60 countries around the world, and we focus in on top management issues, uh, working with all kinds of corporations. By the way, we work with uh, 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 traditional companies. We work in the public sector. We do work in the social sector, and we really focus on top management issues, topics that are top of mind for the CEO and their top leadership team. That is our focus. And the book, CEO Excellence, you had some co-authors. Tell me just very briefly who they were and what they do for McKinsey. Of course. Uh, My two co-authors, wonderful, wonderful uh, people, wonderful human beings, uh, Carolyn Dewar and Scott Keller, uh, both senior partners at McKinsey, both based on the West Coast. Uh, Carolyn's based in San Francisco uh, and uh, uh, Scott is based in Los Angeles. Uh, They lead our practice on a CEO, uh, CEO excellence since our CEO service line. And they're the ones who really in many ways drew me into this project uh, uh, because they, they kind of live this day in and day out, but both wonderful people based on the West Coast for us. And on the book, just briefly, because we're the book is packed. I'll just tell my audience the book is packed. It is filled with content. As a CEO, I could, so many of the topics resonated with me and we're going to be talking about the six mindsets. I, I just to, to, We're not going to be able to cover every aspect of the book. Uh, there's a couple of key areas I want to zero in on. So it's broken down t- by showing the six mindsets. I want to uh, tell people they have a, tr- a very good CEO assessment and prioritization set of tools. What is my CEO mandate? How am I leading today across 18 unique responsibilities? How to prioritize this in terms of improvement areas? And then they also include CEO biographies, which brings me to my next question. How, what was your method, research methodology for the book? I, I appreciate you asking. So uh, we at McKinsey have always researched the topic of CEO excellence uh, over 20 years. And we've kind of looked uh, to CEO, CEO performance, both financial performance, but also, if you like, some of the more intangible performance metrics, and have always had a real interest in this. And the one thing I will tell you is our research, which is peppered throughout this book, will will tell you that the job is hard, and I can give you lots of statistics that will prove that the job is hard and getting harder, but the CEOs that distinguish themselves, the ones that perform in the top quintile among all other CEOs, uh, absolutely uh, are worth it. They they perform at extraordinary levels and do amazing things. We can kind of get into it. So we did all this research. We we're going to write a book about the research. And then we said, hold on a minute. That, that would be less than interesting to most people. Lots of facts, lots of statistics. That wouldn't, won't, won't do much. So we thought we would write this book really telling the stories of excellence through the eyes of excellent CEOs. 
So we essentially looked at the roughly 4,000 people who were CEOs in this century over the last 20, 25 years, uh, CEOs uh, largely for Fortune 1000 companies. We had a few social sector companies in there and the like. Uh, we then said we wanted people who'd been in tenure for at least six years. And then we wanted people who had mostly, for the most part, performed in the top quintile from a shareholder return point of view during that time. Some might be made of one or two exceptions, but the net is we narrowed that group of 44,000 people very quickly down to 200 CEOs. We reached out to about 90 of them. 70 of them enthusiastically accepted our invitation to be interviewed. And so the book is really around the facts of CEO excellence, but it is telling the story of CEO excellence through these eyes of these 67 CEOs that we interviewed. Now, briefly, let's talk a little bit about how fragile this role is. You do have some great stats. Uh, and I'll just start out and then you can add a few more, but two out of five new CEOs fail in the first 18 months. That's a remarkable statistic when you think about it. What else can you tell us about how vulnerable the CEO really is? Well, 90% uh, of them uh, report personally feeling like they're failing in the first year. Uh, so that first year in particular is very hard on, on most CEOs. Uh, the amount of fall off you get beyond uh, year three, four, or five in terms of their ability to renew themselves, uh, the statistics would suggest that, again, 75% of most CEOs, once they get into their tenure, even if they've done well, will hit a plateau and not be able to reinvent themselves. So that's another another aspect that kicks in. So many, many facts in the book uh, really supporting the fact that CEOs, uh, uh, this is a tough job. And by the way, the external scrutiny they're all getting now is also an added dimension that didn't exist perhaps 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I obviously I've been a CEO for many years and across a number of companies. And I pay a lot of attention to the time and the job. And that's changed dramatically. It used to be, uh, from what I understand, tenure was 10 years uh, to less than seven. It's increased, is down to less than seven years. And the turnover has now gone up to 18% uh, during the same period. So I, I, I uh, certainly understand how fragile it is and why uh, we all feel alone. Right. Uh, it's, and we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Um, so we're going to break right now. We'll be back in a few minutes. Our guest mentor is McKinsey's former managing director for the Americas and author of CEO Excellence, Nick Maheltra. You can go to our website, mentorsradio.com, and click on past shows to see many of our great past guests. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. Hi, I'm the executive producer of the Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of bulletproof founder Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. feelgreat.vip to learn more. Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Nauer. I'm a certified business and life coach helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance 6, money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to Balance 6, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz. And now, 
Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Nick Mahotra, senior partner at McKinsey and Company. We're talking about the leadership mindsets of CEOs that separate the best from the rest. Remember, you can also listen to this show or any previous show via podcast and iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device at any time. Subscribe at TheMentorsRadio.com. That is TheMentorsRadio.com. Now, let's flip back to our good friend, the CEO, something I'm familiar with. Um, what a lot of people don't understand. Let's talk about these six mindsets. Uh, and, and, well, let's, for a minute, you had all these interviews. Tell me about one interview that really sticks in your mind. Who was it with and what did you learn? The Satya Nadella interview uh, as CEO of Microsoft uh, absolutely sticks in my mind. And uh, I could go on and on and on about the lessons learned just in that one interview. Uh, but if I may just quickly call out three, three quick lessons. The first was just the way that he reframed the vision of Microsoft from a great company to a amazingly great company. Just the reframing of the vision uh, as he redefined the company into cloud and gaming and a whole new set, set, of, set of businesses was, was completely remarkable. How he shifted the culture there to a growth mindset uh, was another amazing takeaway. And then the third aspect you were struck by uh, was just the way that he managed his own personal effectiveness, the real focus he had on only the things that he could do, only the things that he as the CEO could impact. Uh, as, he, as he put it, one of the great phrases he used in this interview was, uh, when we were talking about what a lonely job it was, uh, he said, there's an information asymmetry problem. As a CEO, I see everything that no one else in the company sees. Uh, but I also see everything that none of my bosses, the 12 members of the board see. And so he said, you really got to kind of be the ultimate integrator, uh, which I thought was a very, uh, a very uh, tangible way of explaining the role that a CEO often plays. So amazing interview for him. And I agree 100%. I've been, and I'm in the startup world now. I used to be a, a company president for a large corporation. But that's the one thing is that everything's flowing into you from your people, from the externals, from doctors. And in my world, it's uh, medicine. Um, so I'm I'm the one that has to connect the dots also. Uh, and it does create some challenges because I may see D and everybody else is still at A. Exactly. And I've got to get people to go from A to D, which can, first of all, for somebody that can be impatient to get things done, that can drive you nuts and you have to learn how to manage that. So I, I, I love that. That's uh, something that I can agree with fully. Um, when you um, talk, when we talk about this book, and I think it's important for our listeners, we're talking about CEOs and your work with CEOs. Talk about how you feel that this can apply to anybody who is aspiring to be a leader. Well, the, uh, the, uh, the responsibilities that we talk about and when we we can come back in, in due time, Tom, to the to the mindsets, uh, but the it starts with these six responsibilities that all CEOs uh, uh, have to tackle. It doesn't matter whether you're excellent or not. Uh, this is around setting the direction or aligning the organization, or mobilizing through leaders or engaging the boards, connecting with stakeholders, and then managing your personal effectiveness. But the 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 great thing about this. It, uh, with these excellent CEOs was the way that they took each of these responsibilities and then they had a real mindset around how do you really do it well. So when it comes to setting the direction, their mindset was one around being bold and being bold and really making a difference, not being incremental, but really being bold. When it came to aligning the organization, it was really around treating what we call the soft stuff, culture, talent, which is not measurable. They really treat it very much as the hard stuff. And the lessons that you learn from the mindsets they, they adopt, I think are very applicable to all of us as leaders. Uh, uh, you know, if you're a, a business unit president or you're a functional leader or you're a young person aspiring one day to be a leader. And by the way, this could be in a public, uh, in, a, in, 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 the, in, in, the, in the social sector or the public sector, as well as it is in the private sector. I think many of these mindsets absolutely 
uh, are are relevant for you as 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 a leader, right? The notion of you, you, whatever you're doing, being bold in it and taking the extra hard step in terms of reframing the vision, for example, or the ways that you can influence culture that we lay out in this book that CEOs do. Those are things that any leader uh, can can do and should do. Let's start. We're going to start getting into the weeds a little bit, although I don't look at them as the weeds. Mm -hmm. Uh, This idea of reframing. Uh, In the uh, book, you had a whole page on different people and how they reframed things to fit the needs of the company. Uh, I don't I don't know if you have that handy. Um, uh, And I don't know if you can, but I'm thinking about uh, Mary Barra at General Motors and how she, her vision, uh, and you have two columns, win in the global auto industry. And then the second one is win by transforming transportation. Maybe you could right. talk about, let's talk a little bit about I, framing and visualization. I don't care if you're just coming into a company or you're running a company, it is so powerful. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, so uh, you're exactly right, Tom. Many of these people, a Mary Barra would be a great example, actually came from within the company. And it is really easy when you grow up within the company to come into this role and be fairly incremental. Or even if you're going to be bold, it's bold at the margin. Let me kind of try and take the next step, but not really in many ways do any anything that's particularly big or particularly bold. Hold that a second. I'm just going to remind people that you're listening to The Mentors Radio with Vic Mahotra, senior partner and former managing partner of the Americas at McKinsey & Company. Okay, let's continue with that thought. Okay. So the, the thing you found about many of these individuals, whether they came from within the company or from outside the company, was they actually, instead of just building on the direction of the company, they really reframed the vision. So Mary Barra would be a great example of actually saying, no, I don't want to just be the best automobile company in the world. I want to transform transportation. And obviously that's got a number of implications, including the commitments they've gone to being a all electric vehicle company, uh, I believe by 1935, uh, sorry, excuse me, 2135. Uh, so so you, you kind of see that. A couple of other great examples that I hope would bring this to life. Ajay Banga, uh, who took MasterCard when he when he stepped into the role 10 years ago or nine years ago, it was $18 billion in market cap. When he stepped down, it was over $300 billion in market cap. And the way he reframed the vision was everyone at MasterCard talked about, we want to be the best payments company in the world. We want to beat Visa. We want to beat American Express. But he looked around and said at the time, 92% of world transactions are still in cash. And he reoriented the vision, uh, reframed the vision to say, kill cash. That's our enemy. That's the opportunity. And indeed, in many ways, really put lit the fire behind what has now become the debit card market, where we all use the cards so much more than we ever used to do. And that would be another great example of, of, of reframing the vision. Um, uh, uh, Reed Hastings uh, said, said to me, obviously the CEO of Netflix, said, uh, if we'd wanted to, uh, if we'd wanted the vision of the company we started out in, we would have named ourselves DVD by Mail Company. But no, we wanted to be the greatest entertainment company in the world, so we named ourselves uh, we named ourselves Netflix. And so they framed the vision very differently than what most CEOs do coming into the job. Well, I want to I want to spend a little more time on this whole idea of the vision when we come back after the break. We're with our guest, Mentor McKinsey's former managing partner for the Americas and author of CEO Excellence, Vic Mahaltra. Remember, you can now listen to our Saturday broadcast on iHeartRadio or afterwards anywhere, anytime by subscribing to our podcast, TheMentorsRadio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. 
But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. Here at Mentors Radio, we've been working hard to help you succeed in every way possible. That's why we're proud to let you know about our newest find, bettercreditdeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com links you to a credit processing company, Cornerstone Payment Systems, that truly shares your ethical values and that can give you lower rates immediately. They don't just say it, they prove it to you. Their commitment to ethical behavior is rock solid. For example, unlike most other credit processing companies, something you may not have known before, Cornerstone refuses to process any porn-related business. They're not newbies either. The company we recommend has more than 50 years experience and provides 24-7 in-house support. See what they can do for you today. Go to BetterCreditDeal.com. That's BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com. Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO-level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially nonprofits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at KML-PC.com. That's KML-PC.com. KML-PC.com. And mention The Mentors. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I'm with Nick Mahultra, senior partner at McKinsey & Company. We're talking about leadership mindsets of CEOs that separate the best from the rest. So we're talking about one of these mindsets, be bold, and we were talking about vision, and just as a real quick, and I don't want to be uh, hogging any time here, but back when I was very young, and this is the point I'm making about early in your career or wherever you are, having these vision, having a vision, having a bold vision. I walked into a plant at the age of 26 with a company called American Hospital Supply that was on the verge of being unionized, couldn't make a good product, and was losing money. It had been around for two years. Within six, seven months, I got this vision of what this place could be. I actually, two years into my tenure down there, they were so happy with the progress I was making, they wanted me to move to the corporate offices in a VP role at a very young age, which I turned down. And I turned it down because I really didn't know at that time in my career whether my judgment was good or bad. And I wanted to see the vision come to fruition. Otherwise, I'd never know. Right. Six years later, most profitable plant in the corporation state-of-the-art manufacturing in an area of surgical instruments that hadn't changed in 100 years. You walk into the plant, you could feel people that are electric. And I just bring that up because that was my own experience at a very young age of creating a, I don't know if I created it, but I got this idea that this is what it could be. And I sacrificed my own career to some extent. There's another story that goes with that by seeing this through. But I got to tell you, that was one of the most important decisions I made in my career, and it certainly got me hooked on this idea of the vision. Absolutely. Maybe. And as you, as you rightly say, at any point in our career, we ought to be framing a bold vision in whatever it is we're doing. It makes a real difference. And the other thing about these visions, you, you have a point here on reframing uh, about make it more than money. Talk about, that's really, a, people don't get that. That's a really big deal in terms of First of all, how people see the company and how your employees want to work with the company. Maybe you could touch briefly on that. Yeah, look, I think uh, I think you know, you know, it's easy to kind of say, "Oh, Vision's all about be the best uh, uh, best company from a shareholder return point of view." You know, for many of these CEOs, those are outcomes. Those are outcomes in their journey to building a great, lasting institution that will endure and 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 make a huge difference. So. You know, if you kind of think about a couple of the visions, Herbert Hainer, who uh, was the CEO of Adidas, 
when he came in, they were actually executing on on delivering uh, shareholder returns through cost reduction and cutting costs and all of, all that all that stuff we see so often in corporate America or corporate world for that matter. And he said, no, you know what? We could need to drive to excellence. And so what I want my vision to be is to help athletes perform better. I want to help athletes perform better. And he energized the company around that. Uh, Henrik Paulson, who's a CEO of a company called Orsted, which is now the world's leader in offshore wind, energized the company by saying, we're going to shift from a brown utility to the world's leader in, in offshore, offshore wind performance. Uh, yes, in the meantime, he took the market cap from what would have been theoretically about four or five billion to 90 billion, right? So he certainly delivered for the shareholder, but boy, did he energize the people along the way in that in, in that in that journey with all the ups and downs they were excited by it and they, it, it gave meaning and purpose to what they were doing and I, so I mean I just love that it's so important and people don't really get that and they they struggle with how they articulate the vision first of all getting a vision then articulating so that people can buy into it I want to talk a little bit about because this is something I heard early in my career and it's certainly true in the venture world act like an owner Let's yes. talk a little bit about act like an owner. Every employee, if they acted like an owner, I mean, you don't have to be the CEO, but maybe you could talk about that. Yeah. Look, I think uh, I think that's exactly right. Uh, you, you know, they uh, uh, these CEOs when they approach this, they're not approaching it as I'm I'm uh, anything other than an owner here, right? Everything I do is something I would do if I personally owned this company. It's the it's ethos they try and. Uh, embed in the organization. It's what they ask of their people up and down the organization, whether it's a 200 person organization or a half a million person organization. So that notion of act like an owner is, 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 is a big deal. And often that is the way that they also drive their culture change. If we, if we ever want to talk about that, it is around that ownership ethos. Uh, you know, many, many institutions will talk about being, you know, one company or a united company. And that whole notion of a ownership ethos absolutely plays through in the way that they talk about and implement culture as well. One of my early bosses was a guy named Bill Bartlett who went on to run uh, G.D. Uh, Searle as president under uh, the former secretary of defense, uh, whose name escapes me. And then he went on to run, run Will Ross up in Milwaukee. I can, I can tell you so many times I'd go in trying to reach a decision. And I'd look at him and he'd look at me and he'd turn around and say, do what's right for the company. Yes, exactly right. Make a decision as if you own the company. Yeah. And this is early in my career. Just never, I never lost that concept. And that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, as an interesting little aside on that, I think it was Jamie Dimon and I, forgive me if I'm quoting the wrong CEO here, Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan Chase who said, I, 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 I really detest it when people come in and tell me, I am loyal to you. My loyalty lies with you. And he says, I turn to them and say, your loyalty is to the company. It is not to me. That is where your loyalty lies. Do the right thing by the company. Don't worry about doing the right thing by me. I, it's, it is such a powerful idea. And if more people did that, I think they would find that they would move along in their careers. It's really, and that's, it's, you know, it goes back to something else you say later in the book. Don't make it about yourself. Right. Why don't we just skip to that? Let's talk about that. That. <laughs> And we'll come back to these other things, but don't make it by about yourself. And that gets back to your personal effectiveness, another mindset. Let's talk a little bit about that. Maybe you could, I'll let you run with that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I when I, when we went into doing this research, um, I had an hypothesis, which fortunately my, my co-authors did not share, was that CEOs by and large uh, led with a top-down style, uh, you know, almost a little dictatorial, uh, really kind of, you know, you know, bit of a command and control model to use some old language. But instead, I think what we discovered was there weren't, there wasn't any particular style that worked. If anything, if there was a style that worked, it was the servant leadership style. And the servant leadership style is, uh, is uh, for those who might be uh, students of Robert Greenleaf really is about working through others, making others successful, uh, you know, not making it about yourself. And you saw a lot of a lot of that. But more interestingly, in many ways, the thing that you heard from these CEOs was they would talk about the importance of being authentic, 
the importance of being being their true self, the importance of bringing their whole self to work, uh, and 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 in that sense, they really were keen not to make this about themselves, but to make it about about the institution. Uh, Reed Hastings actually told us a great story, uh, CEO of Netflix, and this was not about him as a CEO leader, but when he was a young software engineer, this left a indelible mark on him. He was working for a company uh, and he'd work late into the night and leave at three or four in the morning and then come back the next morning. His table had been littered with coffee cups, uh, came back, found the coffee cup for all clean back in the, in the little uh, kitchenette area. He'd have all, coffee all day long and the cycle would repeat himself. One day he couldn't sleep, so he, he, he came back, he left work at 3 a.m., came back to work at 5 a.m., and found a person cleaning, cleaning the stuff in the kitchenette. And he went over there, and he found that it was the CEO of the company cleaning the mugs. And so he said, what are you doing here? And the, and the CEO said, you do so much for me. You, you all work late into the night for me. The least I can do is to do a little something for you. And it speaks to that notion of, you know, be, you know, being there for others, CEOs who are really quite humble and very authentic in terms of who they are. That's a great story. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And that gets at also do what you can do, not what others can do. And I want to come back to that uh, in that um, I've always seen the CEO, my role in anything I've done is I've got people working for me and I see what I can do for them. I mean, my job is to make them more productive. I, I think that's a lot of CEOs. We understand that. And I'm kind of like the bulldozer that knocks down barriers that get in the way from people doing their job, whether it's regulatory, things you have to do in Washington. But the whole idea, we're there to serve the organization so it can be most productive. And I think what uh, the story that Reed told you really emphasizes you're serving the people. And it is so powerful. Do you have any other stories like that that you have to share? I mean, that's a great story. Well, uh uh, I, I might share a story which humanizes CEOs uh, at times. And this was one by Andrew Wilson at Electronic Arts. This was in the Zoom era with everything going on. He was in a town hall with several hundred, if not thousands of people. And his five-year-old son walked in and wanted him to make a little uh, paper airplane. And Andrew Wilson actually put everyone on pause, said, excuse me while I did this. And, and he did it, it took about 30 seconds, but it humanized him to the organization and gave the organization permission to say, I can be a little bit more than just a robot at work. I can also bring my, my whole self to work. Great, we're gonna be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, McKinsey's former managing partner for the Americas and author of CEO Excellence, Vic Mahotra. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. It's Karen, executive producer of The Mentors Radio, and we're thrilled to have MyPillow back as a sponsor. All of us here are huge fans of Mike Lindell's products. When I got fed up with the chemical smell of other pillows, I figured my pillows made in the U.S. I'll give them a try. That was years ago. Now I own six pillows. I use their cotton towels, their 100% Giza cotton bed sheets, and I give them away as Christmas gifts. Every product has exceptional quality and attention to detail. Towels are thick, absorbent. Sheets are soft, smooth, high thread count. Our radio host Tom and everyone we know who's tried these products has the same experience. Use our code MENTORS to get a 60-day money-back guarantee and up to 60% discount. Go to MyPillow.com forward slash mentors. You must include the code MENTORS. That's MyPillow.com forward slash mentors or click the banner on our website. 
And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Vic Mahotra, senior partner at McKinsey & Company. We're talking about the leadership mindsets of CEOs that separate the best from the rest. So I'm going to jump back uh, for a second, back to the mindset of being bold, um, decision-setting mindset. And I want to talk about the managing by milestones, not by annual budgets. Now, budgets are important. I don't think any of us are saying they're not important, but managed milestones. And it really resonated with me because the world I live in and startups, it's all about managing to milestones. And maybe I, I just, I, I know a lot of big companies, it's all managing to the, I could tell story after story, but why, let's talk about that for a second and why it's so important and so powerful. Right. Well, Tom, I think the bottom line is uh, if you've got a, a, a vision, if you've got a view of where the institution is going to go, that doesn't fit in naturally into one-year cycles or six-month cycles. It fits into a bigger picture, right? And if if the vision requires you to hire X number of salespeople or launch Y number of products or whatever the sets of things you are have to do to get there, you can't put, uh, you, yes, obviously they need to be managed against timeframes, but they can't be managed against one year budget timeframes. The budgets can play a role in it, but you need to get the milestones right. So most CEOs, or not most CEOs, but the excellent CEOs, when they've framed or reframed the vision, when they've got that goal in mind, they will set milestones that will allow you to get there. And by the way, this is very rigorous, right? So these are not, they're not slouches when it comes to being very tough-minded around, you know, what do I need to get done by when? What are the milestones? What happens if we don't miss the milestones? Do we cut back? Do we re reset? Do we re-jigger? Re all of that happens all of the time. And they're really, really good at it. I mean, Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan Chase, for example, yes, of course, they've got a budget process. Yes, of course, they've got a resource allocation process. But in a business review, when he knows he needs to pivot and he needs to shift things, all of that goes out of the window and they, they reassign and re, reassess. And that's, I think, is what makes these CEOs great is they have milestones that they're managing to that tie back to the budgets but are not dictated by the budgets and that they do know how to pivot and pivot quite aggressively when they need to. And uh, when we go down the list, we're going to skip to your solving for the team psychology. And I have found this is a very powerful idea as well. And I fortunately had as a mentor in my history, a guy named Tony Petrella, who founded the OD Network, and he's one of the top people in organizational development. And boy, did I learn a lot about him about organizations. So let's talk a little bit about the ecosystem that we create. And I want to especially talk about team building, which is soft stuff that sometimes gets criticized. Right. Well, look, uh, you and I, uh, Tom, I think both uh, old enough to remember the dream team. Uh, which was the 1992 uh, basketball team. Uh, there was a series of professionals who came together to go to the Olympics. One of the little told stories is the very first game that they played in scrimmage was against a very motivated group of college players who beat them, uh, who beat them because you basically had a team of stars that were playing as individuals, not as a team. And Chuck Daly, who was their coach, really then used that as motivation to bring them together to really work as a team of stars, uh, sorry, to work as a star team, not a team of stars, right? And this is the challenge that great CEOs face, which is I can't just have 10 individuals on my leadership team who are all individual stars, but are doing their own thing. I need to have 10 individuals who work together who come together to be a star team collectively. And it isn't about the individual, but it's about the team, right? And this is, this is what uh, uh, I found uh, or we found as we did our, our interviews that these the, the excellent CEOs did really well. They worked really hard on getting the team to come together. Once defined, by the way, there are lots of hiring decisions, firing decisions in getting the team together. But once the team is defined, the amount of time and energy that they put to, put into 
uh, bringing the team together, the behaviors of the team, the offsites that they have with the team, the rules they put in place. I mean, right down to the nits and nats of, you know, you put your iPhone away. We're not going to, you know, the iPhone's all going to a basket and go, go away. We're going to, if we're going to bond as a team, we're going to spend quality time with no one's getting distracted by other stuff. Um, uh, and you, you, we heard story after story of, uh, about this. Uh, Gail Kelly at uh, Westpac uh, was, was just terrific at this. Um, uh, I, I would say Larry Culp, uh, Danaher now at GE, is terrific at the way he, he, he kind of builds, builds a team together. Um, uh, so lots and lots of great stories in the book about how these teams come together. So one of the things that uh, comes to mind is, number one, there's a couple of things that come to mind on this whole idea of the team. Number one, if there's a cancer, you got to cut it out quickly. There's nothing. People Sometimes people understand you can't be nice. It's really for the sake of the company and also the other team members. You've got to really stand up and get rid of uh, people that are dysfunctional and uh, not working to the team. The other thing, because I grew up in the old days when there was a lot, well, I'm sure there is uh, in big companies, but not so much in Silicon Valley, a lot of training where they had a lot of internal training. And I went to a lot of courses and you don't see as much of that, certainly out in Silicon Valley, because no one pays for it. Um, but I've learned one thing about training. If you send somebody off to a supervisory course on training, the supervisor better go. I mean, the people that they sent, everybody in the organization better be going to the same course. What right. I saw is they'd send people off, come back. They'd be excited, want to do something, change the world. And the boss who hadn't gone would say, ah, that doesn't make any sense and kill it. But this right. whole thing has to be integrated on building a team and training. Absolutely. Uh, any more yeah. to add on that? I, I would add three very quick things. One, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, even if you have an A player, but who's out there on their own and not integrating and working with the team, they've got to go. Uh, the second thing I would observe is most of these uh, great CEOs, yes, they did exit the C players and the, and the less good players, by the way, up and down the organization, they were pretty tough on that. But the final observation I was made, and I thought this was terrific, was they were great coaches. So Brad Smith at Intuit, former CEO of Intuit, said this to us. He said, if you're really, if you're all about just hiring and firing, you're not really doing a job. He says, great CEOs coach B-plus players to be A-minus players, A-minus players to be A players. And they really take the time and energy to bring that group together. So whether it's through external input or the coaching that they provide, that's how the team comes together. So the, the amount of time they spent on coaching really did surprise me. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest roles that we play, whether you're a manager or a CEO. It's all yeah. about coaching. And one of the greatest exactly. rewards uh, in managing people is seeing them go off and do great, great things. It's uh, the seed doesn't fall far from the tree. And you got to realize if you're a supervisor, manager, or CEO, you're the tree. And you exactly can, right. Uh, you can uh, sow a lot of seeds. So we're going to come well back. Put. Yep, we're going to come. We have one more segment left. We're going to come back. We're talk a little bit more about you and your life. Uh, I wish we had more time to talk about this great book, uh, but we don't. So we're going to be back uh, in a few minutes with our guest mentor, McKinsey's former managing partner for the Americas and author of CEO Excellence, Vic Mohelta. You'll find all of our show notes and links at thementorsradio.com, including a link to this book. When you're there, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our shows. This is Tom Lorries, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Nauer. I'm a certified business and life coach, helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance Six, money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to Balance Six, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel, and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. 
Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. It's Karen, executive producer of The Mentors Radio, and we're thrilled to have MyPillow back as a sponsor. All of us here are huge fans of Mike Lindell's products. When I got fed up with the chemical smell of other pillows, I figured my pillows made in the U.S. I'll give them a try. That was years ago. Now I own six pillows. I use their cotton towels, their 100% Giza cotton bed sheets, and I give them away as Christmas gifts. Every product has exceptional quality and attention to detail. Towels are thick, absorbent. Sheets are soft, smooth, high thread count. Our radio host, Tom, and everyone we know who's tried these products has the same experience. Use our code MENTORS to get a 60-day money-back guarantee and up to 60% discount. Go to MyPillow.com forward slash mentors. You must include the code MENTORS. That's MyPillow.com forward slash mentors or click the banner on our website. And now... Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Vic Mahotra, senior partner at McKinsey & Company. We're talking about the leadership mindsets of CEOs that separate the best from rest. Before we get into a little bit about yourself, uh, any other final comments you want to make about the book? What, what has been the reaction of people to it, I guess, is a good question. Uh, I will. Uh, I would say that for the f- uh, for the few people who have read the book uh, to date, it actually formally launches uh, on uh, on uh, March fifteenth. Uh, uh, the reception has been terrific. People have really enjoyed it. Uh, gotten a lot of great feedback. A lot of the reaction that you've had, which is, boy, there's a lot here, and there is a lot here. Um, the one you did say is there anything else I would highlight. The one other area I would highlight we didn't spend any time on is shifting culture. And this was an interesting aspect from my point of view, which is uh, a lot of these great CEOs, instead of trying to move culture on 10 different dimensions, you know, you often run into CEOs who say, I want more accountability, I want more speed, I want more this, I want more that. You know, you kind of go down through a long, long list. They tend to pick on one dimension of culture and really kind of, define it, put metrics around it, measure it, role model it, hold people accountable to it, and use that as a way to shift the organization. So one of my favorite examples is Kaz Hirai, who is the uh, former CEO of Sony. And uh, he had this Japanese word called kondo, which I think loosely translates to the wow factor. And he said, in all of our products and all of our services, electronics, uh, entertainment, financial services, whatever it is, I want to have the wow factor. And that translates, you know, when you kind of talk about that culturally, it translates into better products, into greater excitement by your customers and so on and so forth. And it really shifted the culture. But that's all he talked about for three years. Satya Nadella talked about nothing but the growth mindset at uh, Microsoft for three years. So they're just relentless in picking one thing and driving it uh, day in and day out in the organization. So I think uh, you triggered something uh, that you talk about in the book as well. No one CEO does all six things, all, all six mindsets as uh, the same in terms of the highest level. They vary, they vary across the board, as I recall, from your research, right? Yes, of course. You know, and no one's going to do all six things brilliantly. But one of the things I will say is they do all six of them them pretty well. So to that end, they tend to be less the Michael Jordan or the Serena Williams of their sport, where they are just absolutely distinctive at the one thing, at the, in, you know, one, one sport. They, they're a little bit more like the decathletes, the Ashton Eatons of this world, who do a number of things really well. So yes, they may not do all six things at the same level of excellence, 
but they 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 do them all pretty pretty well and so that is a in, another aspect which is their ability to spin all six of these responsibilities and the six mindsets well and do do it all do it all tremendously well is is a, is a distinguishing factor for them and what who is the most important mentor in your life oh boy um uh i would say that historically uh former managing partners uh, Ian, Ian Davis and Dominic Barton have been great mentors to me. My current assistant, Jody Elkins, is a wonderful mentor to me. She really kind of is pretty tough-minded on me in terms of what I need to do and how I need to do it. So I've been very fortunate to be touched by some of these folks in, in, uh, in, in my journey at, the, at McKinsey. And there, you had one story about a mentor who took you under his wing after you got kicked off an engagement. Indeed. Uh, Lowell Bryan, a uh, terrific, terrific um, uh, individual uh, who I was kicked off an engagement. I thought my career was over. He yelled and screamed at me and told me everything I'd done wrong. But then he ended it up by saying, OK, now let me come and take you to this new opportunity and give you a chance to rehabilitate yourself. And by the way, in doing that, coached me and helped me get to that next level. I'm forever grateful to him. Without him, I would not be at McKinsey today. And with all the people that you've seen, I, I can tell you, we probably could share a lot of stories about some very unhappy CEOs, but across, across the board, all the people you've met in all walks of life, what is that one thing that you've seen that uh, really uh, highlights, let's say, what is the, that gives a sense of happiness and joy? Gives a sense of happiness and joy. I think it would be a sense of purpose. Uh, if people have purpose in their life, uh, it typically translates into happiness. That's great. Well, that's uh, it. We're done for the, this episode. Thank you very much, Vic, for joining us. Thank you for your time. We've been talking with Vic Mahaltra, senior partner and former managing partner of the Americas at McKinsey & Company. We have been talking about the leadership mindsets that separate the best from the rest. We will be posting links for his book, CEO Excellence, The Six Mindsets That Distinguish the Best Leaders from the Rest, to our website, thementorsradio.com. When you're there, make it easy on yourself and subscribe to future shows. You can also listen to us online, on any device, anytime, on any podcast, podcast platform. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of the Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. And remember, be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.